0: If you turn with me to the book of Zechariah in chapter 14, chapter 14. Remember, Zechariah wrote his book. He was commissioned by God to write this letter to the nation of Israel. It was during the Babylonian captivity where Israel uh, had gone back to the promised land. They went back to the promised land. The Medo-Persian Empire took over the Babylonian Empire, and Darius uh, was king in uh, in the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, Artaxerxes having sent the people back now uh, Darius is king and he is the one that is uh, is in charge of the people that are back in the land of Israel. They started building the temple and then they stopped because the people of the land discouraged them because the king stopped them uh, reports were coming back and forth to the king of the Medo-Persian empire that they were building a fortress that they were going to Renegotiate the land, and then, then they were going to take it back over, and they would become an Israel of—I uh, mean, an enemy of the uh, Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. So Zechariah encourages them, along with Haggai, to rebuild the temple. Zerubbabel gets that message, and he and he finally begins the process of finishing the temple. But in the process, now Zechariah gives forth some wonderful prophecy about the Grecian Empire to come next. Remember, we're talking about the Gentile world powers. So you had Babylon, you had the Medo-Persian Empire, now he said the Grecian Empire will come, and then he hints of the Roman Empire to come. And now his last prophecy we see here is the Empire of Antichrist, the last of the empires to come on the scene, and then Messiah returns in what we know to be the day of the Lord. And the last time we were together, we took a great deal of time to look at Uh, What we know to be the great tribulation period Now we didn't even scratch the surface of it For sure a horrible, horrible, horrible time to come Such as the world has never seen or ever will see Following the great tribulation period It's called the time of Jacob's trouble It's called the day of the Lord in the scriptures It's a time when there will be a slaughter In the entire length and breadth of the entire world not only will Antichrist and the nations of the world be warring and, and fighting and skirmishing and just slaughtering one another, but God begins to send his judgment out upon the world. And we, we culminated with what we know to be uh, the, uh, the great battle of Armageddon in the tribulation period. There's more than one place the battle takes place, but it's all within the land of Israel. And it happens at the last part of the great tribulation period. When our Lord Jesus now returns to earth to begin his millennial kingdom. And the rest of what you'll see in Zechariah chapter 14 is in fact the millennial kingdom being set up. Now I don't want to go too far with this because Pastor Rob has still asked me to do Monday evenings. So in the fall, we're going to pick up the kingdom of God. So if you are available on Monday evenings, I would encourage you to come out and look at the kingdom. What is the kingdom? What does God say about the kingdom? Remember, in all the Old Testament, the kingdom was promised to Israel. When we're New Testament saints, he says, the kingdom is among you, the kingdom is in you. And then he goes on to say, the kingdom will come. So there's a dozen different aspects of the millennial kingdom that we'll talk about, the kingdom of God, on Monday evenings, and that will be in the fall. But for right now, I just want to touch the surface of this, if I can. Our Lord Jesus, in chapter 14, and verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh and the, thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. The day of the Lord, the great, horrible, tragic, uh, terrible day of the Lord. Now for you and I, it's a day of joy, why we will be coming from glory with him to set up his millennial kingdom on earth, but those on earth will suffer great judgment. Remember the scriptures tell us that he comes as a flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who know not the Lord. All you need to do is read the book of Revelation 20 to see that. Horrible, horrible time for those. But our Lord comes down to earth, and he's now going to begin his millennial kingdom. For the Jews that are at Jerusalem, there's a certain amount of safety. Why, Messiah has come back, and he's going to save the city of Jerusalem, unfortunately, out of the uh, millions and millions and millions of Jews that will have gone uh, prior to During and after the tribulation period, there will only be a few hundred thousand left out of the millions. Be great slaughter for the Jewish people. And then we read in the book of Romans, chapter 11, and all Israel shall be saved. Not all that's here now, (laughs) all that's left of the great tribulation period. So the day of the Lord comes, and our Lord Jesus, he comes from Basra, from heaven down to the Basra. In the south, he sweeps up through the north, and he and he saves the tents of Judah. He saves the nation of uh, Israel and Jerusalem particularly. And he takes over the city. And as he comes down, he lands upon the Mount of Olives. Now, I almost put up some overhead projections, but people scorn me, so I'm not going to do that. But uh, I wanted to give you a sense of what happens when he comes. Now, let's look, if we could, please, in verse uh, verse 4 of Zechariah 14. And his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall clave in the midst toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half the mountain shall move toward the north and half toward the south. So our Lord Jesus, remember, he, he left for glory from that Mount of Olives. The angels told the disciples, uh, Why stand standing, ye gazing upward? The same Jesus shall come in like manner to this very spot. You know, it's interesting. I stood upon the spot that Jesus left and the spot that he's coming back. At least that's what the guide said. I don't know how he knew that exactly, but uh, he told us that's the very spot. Well, it's not. It's a very big mountain, the mountain of Jerusalem. I mean the Mount of Olives. It's higher than the Temple Mount itself. When you go into Jerusalem, you go up on the, on the Mount of Olives. You look down on the temple. It's about 200 feet higher uh, than the Temple Mount itself. It's in a mountain range. But that mountain range is going to split when the Messiah comes. Now, why is it going to split? Well, uh, uh, there's a lot of people who believe it's so the Jews can escape Jerusalem and go down into the Jordan Valley. Well, that sounds good, but that's not really what God calls for. Uh, I don't believe that's true, actually. What I believe is it splits so that the river that we'll observe in verse 8, the river that flows out of the temple will be able to flow down into the Jordan Rift and heal the Jordan Rift area, down into the uh, Jordan River and down into the Dead Sea. And we'll see that in just a moment. Pick it up, please, in, um, in verse 5. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Aziel. Yea, ye shall flee as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all his saints with thee. So God's going to return to earth in, in his uh, might and power and glory. Remember, his vesture is stained with blood from the battle of Armageddon. He comes down. He stands upon the Mount of Olives, and the whole mountain cleaves in two. Pick it up in uh, verse um, verse 6. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall be not clear nor dark. This is very interesting, verse 7. But it shall be one day which shall be known unto the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. So when God returns, some people wonder, is he going to come during the day? I'd like him to come just before lunch, personally. Uh, When's he going to come? Would it be in the middle of the night and you're sleeping and you don't know it? All of a sudden you wake up in heaven. How is that all going to work? Well, God doesn't tell us that. All he tells us is that the entire earth will be clouded over. Now, why will it be Cloud over? Because of the Great Tribulation period. The entire earth, the volcanoes will erupt. Remember, all the uh, earthquakes will take place. All the islands of the seas will sink. So the entire wor- earth will be a canopy of dust, a canopy of clouds, a canopy of fire. One-third of the earth's surface is on fire. The entire – there's meteorites or meteors, whatever you call them, falling from heaven – The whole business, it's going to be a terrible, terrible time. So it will be neither dark nor light. It will be a twilight all the time because of the great dust cover that's going to be covering the earth during that day. A horrible, horrible time. But when Christ comes, instant light. The entire surface of the earth is going to be a a light. Why? Because Messiah is coming back to set up his kingdom. And notice in verse 8, And it shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem one half of them toward the former sea, and one half of them toward the hinder sea, in the summer and in the winter it shall be. So God begins now to to set up his great millennial kingdom, and instantaneously, the minute Messiah comes down, a great river now comes out of the Temple Mount, and it divides in two places. Now this is an interesting river, and we won't take a great deal of time to talk about this, but Ezekiel talks about this river as well. Ezekiel actually follows an angel who measures the river, and it comes out of the, the temple, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as it comes out of the temple. It's this massive river, and it divides in two, and half the waters, remember now, we have a mountain range, the mountain of Jerusalem, the mountain of, uh, of uh, the temple mount itself, Moriah, And then you go up, and that is, if you're looking toward the north now, you go up, and that's the mountain of uh, the Mount of Olives. And then you go down, and there's a mountain range here. Jehoshaphat's Valley runs down here. So as the water is coming out of the temple, you have this mountain, the Mount of Olives, in the way. The water can't get down to the Dead Sea area because of the mountain range. So what happens is the mountain splits. The water from the temple now begins to come down, And it dumps into the Jordan Rift Valley. And it's interesting, this prophecy about that in the scriptures, that they will will dry their nets in the Jordan Valley. Now, there's no fishing in the Dead Sea. It's dead. There's nothing there. But one day, people will fish in there. Why? Because of the waters that come out of the temple. Why does God send waters out of the temple? Well, just to remind you that the entire sea has turned to blood. All the oceans as we know them. Of blood, literal blood. It's incredible to think about. The world now and the aquifer of the world has now turned to blood. Even as, as in Moses' day, I assume that uh, the very vessels that people, you know, if you have a couple of cases of uh, water in your cellar, go down and get them when the world turns to blood and it will be blood water. Now I'm sure if you put ice cubes in it, it won't taste much better at all. It's still blood. All the oceans of the world. So what happens as the water comes out of the temple, it splits. One goes down into what we know to be the great Arabah, the deserts of the world, right down there in the Jordan Rift Valley. And then the others go into the Mediterranean Sea, and it instantly begins to heal the seas of the world. Why? Because Christ has come, and he's going to set up his kingdom. And his kingdom is going to be a perfect kingdom, a beautiful kingdom. Things are going to grow there. Everything's going to flourish there. It will be a 1,000-year period of time. So the seas come out. That also continues on. That river continues on in what we know to be the New Jerusalem. And you can see that in uh, the book of the Revelation, chapter 21. So Zechariah talks about this wonderful, wonderful river. He's talking about, remember, when Messiah returns to Earth. Now, he leaves all kinds of things out. Why? Because he's going to die pretty soon. (laughs) He doesn't have a lot of time here. He just gives us blurbs about the whole business. And what's going to happen? Verse 9, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day there shall be one Lord, and his name shall be one. So Christ comes down, Father, Son, and Spirit come down and occupy what we know to be the new Jerusalem. or Not the new Jerusalem, but the new kingdom. God will set up this millennial kingdom. And you don't have to take a great deal of time to look at that, but you can see that in the book of Ezekiel. A 50-mile square kingdom. 50 miles square. Massive, massive place. All kinds of rooms within it. Ezekiel gives you the measurements, gives you the statistics of it all, tells you all the little nuances of this in kingdom. Where Christ will come, he will sit, and he will rule, and he will reign. Now, what... Um, Zechariah doesn't tell us, at this time, the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. At this time, uh, the angels take the Antichrist and the false prophet, and they cast them into the lake of fire, where they will remain forever and ever, burn in eternal hellfire. Also at this time, Satan is bound, you read in the book of the Revelation. He's chained for a thousand years. He's kept in chains in what's known as the abyss, the place of darkness, a place of holding. So he's there for 1,000 years. He's released at the end of the 1,000 years. You'll read from the book of the Revelation, obviously. But he's there for 1,000 years, and Christ sets up his great millennial kingdom. But before he does, there's still people alive on earth. There's still people who have lived through the great tribulation period, and now he begins what we know to be the judgment time. Begins to be the great judgment. What kind of judgment is that? It's not what we call the great white throne judgment. That will come at the end of the millennial kingdom. This is a time of judgment for those who are alive on earth, and we see that in Matthew. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, please. The book of Matthew 24 and 25 talks about this great time in which God, the Lord Jesus Christ, returns and sets up his kingdom, and then there's a time of judgment. Upon the nation of Israel and upon the Gentiles. And for the nation of Israel and for the Gentiles, God will set them aside. He'll divide them up, the sheep from the goats. His sheep, those who have trusted him, who have believed on him as Messiah, as Mashiach, those who have trusted him as Savior, they will be his sheep and they will remain on earth. Those who have not believed in Jesus as Messiah, who have not done anything to help their fellow Jews, those people will be the goats and the angels will take those people and cast them into hellfire. There's a judgment that takes place at this time. Now I know this is difficult, uh, but I just want to touch a few, um, the, the, the little tips of it we could. Matthew 25, look at verse 14 please, Matthew 25, 14. And the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered them unto his goods. Now, when you look at the kingdom in the book of Matthew, recognize, and particularly the parables in Matthew, recognize that Jesus is talking to his Jewish people. He references these Jewish people. Remember, it, it is for us. All scripture is for us, but not all scripture is necessarily to us. He's talking about his Jewish people. It's for us to know. It's up for us to realize. It's for us to, realize, to recognize. It's for us to follow. Why? Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, proof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. But he's talking to his Jewish people about his millennial kingdom. So when you go through the parables, if you try to make them apply to you, you're going to end up some, with some great problems in your life. Why? Because you don't fit it. This doesn't fit you. This isn't You but he's talking to his Jewish people uh, during a time of establishing his millennial kingdom. So in Matthew chapter 25, look please at verse 31 now. Then the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all the nations, the goyim, the entire world, Jews and Gentiles. All the nations of the world shall be separated them, from one another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left hand. So he begins this time of judgment. He's going to purge the world of unbelievers. Only believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who sleep in Jesus, will be raptured. They're raptured. They're up in the presence of the Lord with glorified bodies. But when it comes to this time, these people are alive on planet Earth. They're here and they're living. How many tens of thousands will there be? How many millions? We do not know that. We know about one-third to one-half of the earth's surface is destroyed and the people with it. So if there's six billion people in the world today, there may only be two billion left by the time this is done, maybe less than that. Can you just imagine the horror of that, the great time of judgment? But the Lord comes back now, and unbelievers are removed and taken and cast into hellfire. They had, they had, Their time was up. To everything there's a season, a time under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, and there's a time of judgment. And if they have not trusted Christ the Savior before his return, they are now cast into this lake of fire. And only believers remain upon the earth. Satan has been cast away. Christ comes to set up and, and the earth is renewing itself. God is doing this miraculous work through this great river that's coming out. God has judged all mankind. He's sitting on his throne. The kingdom is going to be rebuilt. That is the new Jerusalem, I mean the, the city of Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. So all this is going on and it's going to happen quickly and rapidly. But what we, what we see from this is this judgment takes place. The believers are Uh, uh, remain, the unsaved are there, and only born-again Christians, only born-again Christians will remain on earth during this time. Now, during this time, there's going to be an apparent, and I say apparent only because this is all we can understand, there's going to be an apparent DNA code change of people. Right now, you and I are programmed, right? We're programmed as far as life is concerned. We're born, we, we, we reach a pinnacle of age, then we go down the other side, on which I am on the other side of that, and then we die. Uh, 70, 80, 90 years, some people live just a little bit longer than that, but eventually it's with great sorrow, and you die. But the DNA code is going to be changed for people in that people will live particularly these individuals who go through the great tribulation period will live forever. They'll live forever. It's kind of interesting, and I want you to see a couple passages on that if I could for a moment. Not only will the human DNA uh, DNA change, but animal DNA will change as well. Where animals were, uh, remember during the, the fall, during the curse, animal uh, DNA, uh, DNA was changed, and that instead of being herbivores, they now became carnivorous. So there's these cute little things that run around. you know uh, Nancy and I went for a walk today. Several dogs at fences <coughs> kind of trying to eat us. you know It didn't matter how big they were, they all wanted a bite of you, you know that type of thing. But uh, lions and, and, and you, you, you name it. snakes and you name it, all the animal kind, their DNA, Uh, will be uh, changed in that they will eat grass just like in the great creation. Now, I want you to see that just for a moment, but hang on to that thought. How about uh, mankind? Turn with me to John chapter 11 for a moment, please. Remember, God promised Old Testament saints that when they died, when they went in the way of the world, when they went into the earth, upon their death, God would bring them a promise of a resurrection unto life. That's in Daniel chapter 12. And every Jew that is orthodox to any degree believes in Daniel chapter 12, the resurrection unto life. So God promised that to the Jewish people, and they hung on to that, and it's a wonderful thing, of course, to hang on to. Now, the Lord Jesus is speaking to uh, Mary and Martha. This is Lazarus, of course, and Lazarus has died. And the Lord Jesus comes, and they run out to meet him. They're very, uh, very excited that he's here. Yet they think it's too late. Lazarus is already dead, and by now he's begun the process of deterioration in the grave. Verse 21 of John chapter 11. Then Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. So if you had been here, you would have healed him. He he just wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, whatever thou wilt ask of God, God will give thee. Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Now when is he talking about? When is Lazarus going to rise? In just a few minutes. The Lord Jesus knows he's going to bring him back to life, right? That's his plan. That's the procedure. And Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. She's talking about Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Yes, I know, Lord, that he'll rise. That's a promise from the Old Testament prophets. That's a promise from Daniel himself. The Lord Jesus said unto here, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So there's, 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 there is a, a process in which I can give eternal life no matter what and no matter when. And But notice what he says in verse 26. This is in the resurrection at the last day. Verse 26. And whosoever liveth, liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe that? I have heard sermons on this that are unbelievable. <laughs> you know, if you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you'll never die. Oh, really? I can name a couple of dozen people that are dead who believed on the Lord Jesus. Can't you? I could probably name a hundred if I thought long enough, and I'll be one of them pretty soon. We, we recognize that when people believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they do die. And they, their body goes into the grave. Their spirit is with the Lord. Soul, spirit is with the Lord, and one day the body and the soul and spirit will be reunited in a glorified body. But Jesus is talking about the last day. Remember, that's the context. He's talking to a Jew. He's not talking about the rapture. Mary and Martha know nothing about a rapture. They know nothing about a New Testament church. They know nothing about any of that. Why? Because Jesus hasn't mentioned that. Paul's the one who brought that up, right? So there's no clue. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. When is that? In the resurrection at the last day. This is when God comes to set up his millennial kingdom. Those people who are alive on planet earth in that day will live forever. They'll live forever. Their DNA code will be changed, and they will be just like the Old Testament saints in the days of um, Adam and Eve, in that they will have an eternal body. That was what was promised to Adam and Eve, and that's what's promised to these people. Uh, Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, Matthew 13. Again, I'm bringing you back to the passage in Matthew chapter 13, and these are the parables in Matthew chapter 13. Now, remember, when he's talking about the kingdom. We are to have kingdom living here and now. We're to live for the king. We're children of the king, just like the nation of Israel. We have Christ dwelling within us. You have the king in you. So we're to be children of the kingdom and live like the king. But he's talking about this millennial kingdom that he came to promise. Remember, he came to offer the kingdom to his own. That's why he came, didn't he? He came to offer the kingdom to his people of Israel. And they rejected him. We will not have this man to rule over us. They rejected their king. And they had him killed, obviously. In Matthew chapter 13, let's pick it up if we could please uh, right in... Uh, Look at verse 31, verse 31, another parable he put forth unto them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. So you have these little tiny mustard seed, I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed plant, little tiny thing, very small bushy thing that grows, he said, which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed in the least of, is the least of all seeds, but when it grows, it is the greatest among herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches of it. So the kingdom of heaven is like this. How does it start? It starts off very small. There's very few people left on planet Earth. But once the kingdom begins, the people on planet Earth are going to grow exceedingly in number. Of course, the birds of the field are going to come in, and we're going to see that later on. But what does that mean? Well, there are people born on planet Earth. Who has people? Not you and I. Who has children? We don't. Why? We have glorified bodies. We're like the angels of heaven who, who, do, not, who do not reproduce. Who can have children? It's the people that live on planet Earth, and their DNA code has changed after the Great Tribulation period into the Millennial Kingdom. And there will be millions and millions and millions of people born, children born, during the millennial kingdom. And at the end of the great millennial kingdom, many, many, many of those children born during that time period will reject Christ as Savior. You can see that in the book of the Revelation in chapter 20. They come, actually, and they come to invade Messiah. When do they do that? When Satan is loosed and gathers them together to attack. So you have the aspects of the kingdom taught here. It's a literal place at a literal time with literal people running it. The Lord Jesus, of course, will be the king. He will rule and reign as sovereign over all the earth, but under him will be subregents like David. David will be there, ruling and reigning. Won't that be great? There will be sacrifice in the kingdom. It will not be salvific. It will be an Old Testament remembrance of what goes on. Why? Because God is going to bring us back through the history of the nation of Israel and through the history of Christendom as we know it. It'd be a wonderful thing to see. So during the millennial kingdom, the earth will be healed, and you can go through different aspects of that. Zechariah talks about the river coming. Ezekiel talks about the same river flowing. Uh, Amos talks about uh, a man's planting seeds, and another guy's coming, falling behind him and picking up crops. Why, the earth will be so fertile during that time period. Remember, there will be no thorns or thistles. Uh, we, we plant a little tiny garden. I hate it. Things grow in there. We never plant We're always out there yanking up something. You buy loam and it's poisonous. They got it from Chernobyl and shipped it here and sell it to us. Uh, you have to get special dirt now. And, and everything else, you Go. you have to put special fertilizer on it. Why? Because special weeds grow special places. Not in the kingdom. None of that will take place. It will be mo- a miraculous miraculous place, a wonderful place where Christ will sit and rule and reign. Remember in Jerusalem it will be the place where where people will come to worship. Head back with me to Zechariah please. Zechariah chapter 14. People will come to worship there. All the nations of the world will come and worship Messiah in this kingdom. Zechariah chapter 14 again please. In Zechariah chapter 14, let's pick it up in uh, Verse 16, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king and the Lord of hosts and to keep the Feast of, of Tabernacles. Every year, people are going to travel to Jerusalem. They'll travel to Jerusalem to worship, to be with the king of kings and lord of lords. So that Jerusalem will be the center of worship. It be the place where men and women will go to worship the king. There will be other rulers there. You and I will rule and reign with Christ according to our works that we have done while we are here on earth, whether they be good or whether they be useless. We will be given position in the millennial kingdom because of that. Then remember the 12 apostles will judge the 12 tribes of Israel in Matthew chapter 19. Turn with me there to Matthew 19 for a moment, please. Remember, the apostles were always shook up. What's going to happen to us? What are we going to get? What what am I going to – what's going to happen with me? And Peter asked that. You know, Peter was the guy you went to. Go ask him. You know, and Peter would go ask the Lord. Verse 27, then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Ah, It's legitimate, I think. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily I say unto you that ye who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on his throne, the throne of his glory, ye also shall so sit upon the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Do you ever wonder what that meant? Here's what it means. In the millennial kingdom, the 12 apostles will uh, be sub-regents under David over the 12 tribes of Israel. So God has a specific plan for his millennial kingdom, and I'm hoping that on Monday nights we'll, we'll look specifically at that plan. But this is a literal place a literal time with literal people, uh, and, and, and God's literal kingdom will be here on earth, and he'll be ruling and reigning there. It's interesting that there will be, of course, I mentioned uh, a sacrifice as a memorial, and you can go back to the book of Isaiah and see about the promise of the kingdom, where the lion will lay down with the lamb. My understanding, and I have not seen it for myself, although I now that I think about it in the UN building downtown uh, in New York City it says that they'll they'll beat their plowshares into pruning hooks I mean they'll beat their spears and swords into pruning hooks and plowshares I I haven't seen that but my understanding is that what does that mean? all it simply means is this that instruments of war will now become instruments of agriculture there'll be no more war, why? because Messiah is there Will there be people that will turn against Messiah? Well, we mentioned that. Yes, there will. But will there be rebellion during his reign? Yes, there will. And what will happen? They will die instantly in a place of judgment. If someone dies, Isaiah said, at 100 years old, it would be like a baby dying. Why? Because you'll live a 1,000 years. So dying at 100 years old won't be anything. So there will be a a, a, continual, a continual judgment. Well, there'll be Passover. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 45 for a moment. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 45. And I'd like you to look, please, at, um, at verse 25. We saw this in, of course, the, the book of Zechariah. that The nations will go up and celebrate um, the Feast of Tabernacles. In Ezekiel 45, and look at verse 25 for a moment. Same thing will happen. In the seventh month and the fifteenth day of the month shall, uh, shall he do likewise in the feast of the seven days according to the sin offering, according to the burnt offering, according to the meal offering, and according to the oil offering. This all takes place in the millennial kingdom. All the ends of sections of Ezekiel are the millennial kingdom. The land will be portioned out to the twelve tribes of Israel. So all God's plan, all God's Old Testament plan comes to fruition. Why? Because God promised. He said it would happen, and it will happen. You know, in, in a real true sense of the word, it's very, very hard or difficult to completely understand the Old Testament scriptures without the New Testament, isn't it? Very hard for us to understand without having the New Testament. Oh, yeah, I see how this filled I see progressive revelation. I see how it filters out. But you know what's also true? it's very hard to understand some of the New Testament without the Old Testament. You begin to wonder, what's this? What's this all about? Remember, Paul talks about law. John talks about law. What law? Mosaic law. They talk about a future kingdom. What kingdom? That's the kingdom of Christ. And so it's very difficult without knowing the the complexities of the scriptures. It's difficult to understand them without knowing something about the entire Bible, which tells us Study the word of God. The answer's there. It's contained in there. It's a wonderful, wonderful book from cover to cover, the word of God that gives us all the truth about God. But at the beginning of the great tribulation period, God says the resurrection of the dead takes place. What dead? That's the Jewish dead of Daniel chapter 12. Turn with me to the book of the Revelation for a moment. The book of the Revelation in chapter 20. Let's start in verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. This would be tribulation saints. And they who had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark upon their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, a millennium. So you have the Old Testament saints now picking up in verse 5. Verse 5. And the tribulation saints, these people who died during the great tribulation period, what happened upon them? They, they were killed, notice. They had not worshipped the beast. They were beheaded for the witness of Christ. They were killed during the tribulation period. What happens to those people? Well, God says he will resurrect their bodies. He will give them a glorified body at this time. But the rest of the dead lived not until the thousand years were finished. And this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection, on such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and, Christ, uh, and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. This is when Daniel's prophecy takes place. Daniel chapter 12. The Old Testament saints are given their glorified body. Remember, right now they're in the presence of the Lord without a glorified body. Anyone you know that I know that has died in Christ, born-again believers, New Testament believers, they are with God in glory without a glorified body. What does their body look like? I have no idea. Some kind of temporary thing, uh, intermediate type thing. We don't know exactly what it's like. But they're going to receive their glorified bodies at the rapture, right? New Testament saints in First Thessalonians chapter 4. They received their glorified bodies and we are glorified and, set and brought up together with them. But Old Testament saints have not yet received their glorified bodies. They will not get them till Daniel chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 20 kicks in. They get their glorified bodies at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Why? Because the kingdom was promised to them. It's not promised for us. We're going to be there. We're going to occupy it. We're going to be a part of it for sure. But the kingdom was always promised to the Jews. And remember, right from the beginning of the book of Zechariah, he said, listen, build this temple. It's small. I understand that. It's not what you think it is. I understand that. But one day, Messiah will stand in this place. Always promising the kingdom in Zechariah. Always promising the kingdom. All the Old Testament saints promising the kingdom. To who? To the Jewish people. We're there. We're with him. We're part of it. But the kingdom is for the Jewish people. And we will rule and reign with him in it. What a wonderful, wonderful thought. Now, at the end, I, 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 you're in the book of the Revelation, verse, seven, uh, verse chapter 20 and verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go forth to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Well, if only believers are on the earth during the great uh, millennial kingdom, if the unsaved have been taken and cast into the lake of fire where the false prophet and the beast are, where Antichrist is, if only believers are there, who does Satan deceive? He deceives those children that were born, not all of them, obviously, but those who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And this is so interesting, and I want to say this quickly because we're all done with time. But you have a perfect earth. You have a perfect God ruling and reigning on it. You have a perfect environment. No sin is allowed to rule and reign, and people still reject Messiah. What does that mean to you and I? It doesn't mean matter where you were born, to whom you were born, and what your conditions are, you're accountable for your sin. You're totally accountable for your sin. Say, well, I was brought up in a family that was divided join about 80% of us I was brought up in a family that was a problem yes, I was brought up in a bad neighborhood yes, yes you were I'm sorry about that, it's terrible I was brought up under adverse conditions yes, I'm sorry when John Kennedy was killed it just broke me forever when my pastor sinned, that turned me off all, all the excuses of the world I have every excuse in the world not to receive Christ as Savior the truth is No, you don't. Not one. Not one. You have a perfect world, a perfect environment, with a perfect God ruling a perfect throne, and people still reject him. They still turn against him. So Satan is loosed. And what does he do? Verse uh, 8, And he shall go and deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Remember? Remember? He, he sent the nations against Christ to return. He sent the nations in the battle of Armageddon. Now he gathers the unregenerated people of earth, and he, and he, he, he gets them for another battle. He's not giving up. He's not quitting. There, numbers is the sand of the sea. There will be millions of people born during the millennial kingdom. Millions. Why? A woman will live for uh, 1,000 years. You can have a lot of babies in 1,000 years, I presume, so you have one every nine months. Add that up. No, not nine months, obviously. But, you know, you have one a year. Well, you have a thousand kids. Boy, there'd be a lot of overtime working there in the kingdom, wouldn't there? But recognize there's going to be a lot of them in verse 9. And what happens? And Satan leads them. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about the beloved city. They attack the Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. They go up there. They want to stop him from coming. They failed. Now they want to stop him from ruling and reigning. And what happens? And fire comes down out of heaven and devours them. And the devil is taken at that time, cast into the lake of fire, where the false prophet is. And how long? Day and night, forever and ever and ever they suffer there. Then God sets up what we know to be the great white throne judgment great white throne judgment and everyone who has not trusted Christ from eternity past from Old Testament past to uh, this present day in the tribulation period they'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the earth will be purged of sin completely so when the New Jerusalem starts only born again Old Testament New Testament believers will enter the New Jerusalem and it will be the eternal state forever and ever that was all in Zechariah. No, it wasn't. But recognize that's the progression of Revelation through the book of Zechariah. He leaves out a lot of it. Why? Because God has said, this is what I want you to write. But as you see, Christ returns. The, 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 the waters come out of the temple. Why? That's all part of Old Testament scenario. It's all part of what filters into the New Testament millennial kingdom. It's a wonderful, wonderful time. I hope that you'll come out with us on Monday evenings, It's a commercial. I'm already telling you that quickly. So, if you'll read through the book of um, Ecclesiastes a couple times, I think you'll really enjoy it. And you'll see uh, Solomon's hand written throughout the whole thing. And don't let it discourage you. Recognize, this is a man writing about um, a fallen nature. About a fallen nature. And as as we go through this, we'll see Solomon's Disgust, really, with what he sees is nothing new under the sun. A classic line, a classic line for a discouraged man is all the rivers run into the ocean, and yet the ocean is not full. (laughs) How more, more discouraging can you get than that? He said it never fills up. But that's the way he sees life. Why? Because of his fallen nature. Okay, let's close. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you, Father, for your Work in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Father, we look at Zechariah and we see these great promises, Haggai, back into the Old Testament book of Isaiah, all talking about Christ in his millennial kingdom. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who dwells in me will sit on his throne forever. Father, we know he wants me to come to him as he occupies that space in heaven right now, but one day he will return. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Father, thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.